everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay. And today, I wanted to talk to you guys about the story of TLC's Lisa Lopez, also known as Lisa Left Eye Lopez. So, Lisa Lopez, she died back in the early 2000s, very tragically, in a car accident when she was in Honduras. And it's been a death that has really impacted me for a really long time. And I think the saddest thing about it is that it was recorded because she was doing a documentary down there. So I'm sure all of us know about the band TLC, the band that does the Waterfall song, Creep, No Scrubs. They are one of the best 90s hip-hop, R&B, rap girl groups of the 90s. In my humble opinion, they are just so iconic. And Lisa is known for her impressive rap skills. She always lays down the coolest raps in all of their songs. And I just thought, well, I kind of wanted to talk about it because it was a really interesting story and especially about her life and the group of TLC. So without further ado, let's just jump right on into the story. So Lisa Lopez was born in 1971 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She is the daughter of Lawanda, who was a seamstress, and Ronald Lopez Sr., who was a U.S. Army staff sergeant. Lisa said her father was very strict and domineering and that he treated the family like they were in boot camp. Her parents separated when she was still in school, and her grandmother raised her during the later years of her childhood. And she was always a very creative child, so she was into doing modeling, she was into doing singing, dancing and making her own dance videos before that became like a really popular thing to do. So she ended up moving to Atlanta in the early 90s. And this is where she would help to form the group that would be TLC. But they were originally called Second Nature. So TLC was originally Tion Watkins, who's had the nickname T-Boss, Lisa herself, and Crystal Jones. The name TLC actually came about from the initials of the girls. So Tion became T-Boz. Crystal, that was the C there. And then Lisa left there. Lopez, that was the L. So T-L-C. Crystal would end up leaving the group and TLC's manager, who's known as Pebbles, brought in Damien Dane backup dancer Rosanda Thomas as the third member of TLC. But because they were kind of trademarking, if you will, this name of TLC, they needed Rosanda to have a nickname that began with a C. So Left Eye Lopez actually gave Rosanda her nickname of Chili, and that would be the lineup of TLC indefinitely. So a lot of people actually were wondering how the heck did Lisa Lopez even come up with the name Left Eye because it's a bit of a strange name. And she used some really interesting ways of communicating her nickname, predominantly with how she would creatively use glasses in the early part of their formation. And she had a condom put in as the lens to the left eye. No, I'm sorry, the right eye, so that her left eye was what you would see. They were very predominant in speaking about safe sex. So that just became so ubiquitous with TLC. And honestly, that even in itself is unique, the thought that she just came up with that. I wonder how she even saw out of those classes in the first place. I mean, that's just really funny. I mean, I'd imagine she just used those classes for promotional things or videos that they did. 
But she eventually, you know, shifted out of doing the glasses thing. And then she eventually put a black mark under her left eye, almost like paint, like how those in football would put like the stripes under their eyes. Like she did one of those under her left eye. And then she eventually transformed that into getting her left eyebrow pierced. So she always became known as left eye, but how it started for her, it's a well-known rumor. I don't know if it's confirmed, but it's speculated that new edition member Michael Bivens commented that Lisa was attractive to him because of her left eye because he thought that her left eye was more slanted than the other one. I don't know if I see what he sees because she just looks like she's a beautiful girl with beautiful eyes and I can't really decipher if her left eye is more slanted than the other one, honestly. But he saw that distinction and so she's like, oh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez, that's a really cool nickname. So that's how she became synonymous with the left eye nickname and she will forever be known as Lisa Left Eye Lopez. So as TLC was coming up in the music industry and, you know, they were just young girls doing rap music, doing hip hop music, Lisa was struggling already at this point in the game with alcohol. So she had been drinking at the age of 15 and she was actually pressured by her father, who was an alcoholic, for her to drink at a young age. So father of the year award right there. So the group arrived on the music scene in 1992 with the album, Oh, on the TLC tip. And that was their debut album. It sold 6 million copies worldwide. So they literally just came out of nowhere and they took the world by storm. Shortly after the success of this debut album, Lisa began dating Atlanta Falcons football player Andre Risen. She soon moved to Andre's double story mansion. And this is where a lot of issues would come for her in terms of her relationships, but also her personal life, because this was a very tumultuous relationship that she was involved in. And it has been known that she was always willing to give advice to those around her. But when it came to getting that advice for herself about her dating life, she never took it. She never took heed of it. So she was always in really bad situations, especially with this Andre Rising guy. Lisa filed her first assault charge against Andre on September 2nd, 1993. The two of them were just so horribly compatible for each other. They were not good for one another at all. But the second incident that was most predominant happened a year later on June the 9th, 1994, when the two of them got into a fight in the early morning hours. And this started because he was cheating on her a lot. And there was one incident where she actually caught him in the act. So her modality would usually be to drink, to get angry when she saw this happen. She would throw his possessions in their bathtub and then light it on fire. So that happened the first time when she caught him cheating. And because the bathtub got all messed up, they had to change the bathtub to make it a fiberglass one. This incident on June 9th, 1994, they had a really horrible argument. So Lisa, she grabbed all of his tennis shoes that he had just bought. She threw them in the bathtub and she lit them on fire. But the problem 
This fiberglass bathtub quickly melted and it set the entire house on fire. So she was arrested and indicted on charges of first degree arson for this incident. And she was sentenced to five years of probation and a $10,000 fine. She was also subjected to going into therapy and into rehab at a halfway house. While they were doing their second album, Crazy Sexy Cool, she was going through this whole issue with her probation, her rehab, her stint in rehab. So she was on the album, Crazy Sexy Cool, but she wasn't fully involved in it. She actually had to get permission from her probation officer to leave and to come to the studio and to record her parts. She didn't have that many parts but she had a couple of them. T-Boz would kind of take over as the main person that would sing on the Crazy Sexy Cool album, whereas before it was kind of all of them together. But because Lisa was not there predominantly, T-Boz kind of had to take over. It did extremely well for themselves, though. It did extremely, extremely well. It released on November 15th, 1994, and it was definitely seen as a move away from the rap style that they first cultivated on their debut album. And the album was considered to be more sensual R&B sounds built over hip-hop beats. I can easily see. I mean, you have Waterfalls on there just as a classic example, which is very chill, easygoing R&B. You know, as they were kind of becoming more and more famous, I think they kind of laid down the foundation for that sensual female R&B vocal. And Aaliyah was coming up at the same exact time. So that sound was becoming even more popular. So after Lisa served her five years of probation, she then went to the required therapy and rehab at the halfway house. And she revealed on the documentary that would be titled The Last Days of Left Eye, she said that her meeting with a struggling mother in rehab left a very big impression on her. And she actually would go on to adopt this woman's eight-year-old daughter. To promote the crazy, sexy, cool album, TLC performed in the annual Budweiser Superfest tour with Boys to Men, Montel Jordan, and Mary J. Blige in early 1995, and this consisted of 23 dates in North America. But amidst their apparent success, TLC actually filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on July 3rd, 1995. TLC declared debts totaling $3.5 million, some of it due to Lisa's insurance payments that came about from her arson incident a couple of years prior. But the main reason being that the group received what they called a less than favorable deal from their recording company. And what I actually didn't know was that each of the letters in TLC was worth a million dollars. They had to fork over three million dollars, essentially, to get the rights to their name back once they let go of their manager pebbles because they were not happy with what was going on there but according to tlc the more successful the album crazy sexy cool became the more they were in debt in addition to this managers lawyers producers and taxes had to be paid leaving each member of the group with less than fifty thousand dollars a year after having sold millions upon millions of albums So that's kind of unfortunate because while they were selling so many albums and they were becoming even more incredibly successful, they were more and more and more in debt because they had to pay 
so much of the money that they receive to managers, lawyers, producers, and to the taxes that they had to pay. And it left them with really not that much money to live off of, which I think that's really crazy. So because of this $3.5 million in debt, after that had kind of been sort of settled, they went on a recording hiatus, which is why it took them a long time to release their third album, Fan Mail. It only took two years between their first and second album to come out, but it, they went from 1994 to 1999 between that time span. So they went a couple of years without doing anything because I don't think they could really afford to do anything. So they eventually entered the recording studios to record their third album, Fan Mail, in April of 1998. And this would be the last TLC album that Lisa would be on pre-posthumously because they would then go on to release a fourth album that she would be on posthumously after her death but this is the last one that she would be on while she was living on this album lisa wrote and composed eight songs but they were rejected by music producer dallas austin stating that they were inferior to all the other songs that were being put out there as ideas for the album Lisa wound up telling MTV in July of 1998 that she decided to work on a solo album, and the album was planned to be released before fan mail. Lisa thought that she was not getting the appropriate recognition for the work that she was putting into TLC, and so therefore she was also, I think, coming into her own as a rap artist and as a musician, and so she wanted to do something by herself. So Fan Mail was released on February 23rd, 1999, and it sold over 14 million copies. The title of the album, Fan Mail, was named by Lisa as a tribute to their loyal fans, and the sleeve in the album contained the names of hundreds of fans' screen accounts, like AOL screen names, MSN screen names, as a thank you for being there for them throughout thick and thin. After this came out, not only was she then touring with TLC for the fan mail album, but then she was also in the studio with her free time recording her debut solo album, which would be called Supernova. And on this album of hers, it included a song titled A New Star Is Born. She said this about the song. That track is dedicated to all those that have loved ones that have passed away. It's saying that there is no such thing as death. We can call it transforming for a lack of better words, but as scientists would say, every atom that was once a star is now in you. It's in your body. So in the song, I pretty much go along with that idea. I don't care what happens or what people think about death. It doesn't matter. We all share the same space. And that would be so eerie considering how she ended up dying and what her thoughts about death were. Maybe her soul knew intuitively she would not be here for that long of a period of time, but other tracks covered personal issues, including her relationship with Andre. And among the album's 13 tracks was also a posthumous duet with Tupac that was put together from unreleased recordings done before his murder in 1996. But the album was eventually released in August of 2001, and that would be the last album that she would put out in life. She had plans of doing a follow-up solo album, a second one. She signed with Death Row Records in January of 2002, and she wanted to go under the pseudonym Nina, and Nina stood for New Identity Not Applicable. So she was really writing this Nina 
pseudonym for a really long time before she would end up passing away. And she was really gearing to go with recording this second album. She had discussions about recording this album with David Bowie, and the album was also going to include collaborations with Missy Elliott, Ray J, and others. So it was going to be a stacked album. After her death, Death Row Records still had plans to complete and release the album in October, but the album was canceled for unknown reasons, probably because she had passed away and how could they kind of come up with, you know, an album from the material that they that they had. Several tracks from the album were actually leaked online, so that kind of shot really any way for them to come out and promote this record. So this record never came out and it was never released Several tracks were leaked. I don't know if those leaks are still online or not. Probably. And Lisa's unreleased songs were also sampled by TLC for their fourth and final album together called 3D. So that was the posthumous album that she was then put on. And that would be the last album that TLC did because they're not TLC if, if Lisa's gone. And they never wanted to replace her. That's kind of that on her solo career. But now we get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast episode, which is her very unusual death. So this kind of actually started in 1998 because there was a hurricane called Hurricane Mitch that devastated Honduras. And Lisa was a very spiritual person. She was a very like clean, holistic person as well. She was very much into peace and green ways of living and, you know, just trying to kind of uh, root herself into the earth and help as many people as possible. And because of Honduras being devastated by Hurricane Mitch, she wanted to give back because she was, you know, famous and she had the money. She wanted to give back to Honduras as much as she could She loved Honduras, and she had friends of hers that were in Honduras. And she brought some of her friends there on a 30-day spiritual retreat in the springtime of 2002. And she brought a documentary crew along with her and, you know, camera crews and people like that. And she also had her own handheld camera that she would vlog from. And this is unfortunately why we have footage of her last moments. Literally, we have footage of her death You don't really see anything, but you hear it really. And it's just very eerie that we have this footage. But all this footage that she intended to use for this documentary in Honduras would be turned into The Last Days of Left Eye, which was the documentary that would come out posthumously in 2007 for her. So if you want to know a lot more and you want to actually see like the work that she did in Honduras, definitely go watch that documentary. It's very insightful. But this is the craziest of situations because Lisa, she ended up renting this car. And apparently the roads in Honduras are just really confusing, especially to those that are non-natives that are not local to Honduras because they're not like American roads at all. So she was the passenger of this van that was being driven by her assistant, Stephanie Patterson. And the two of them ended up involved in a car accident where a 10-year-old Hondurian boy stepped onto the road and they run him over by accident, of course. They missed him or didn't see him or they didn't swerve in time and they hit him. And the boy, Bayron Fuentes Lopez was his name. He was walking into the street 
following behind his brothers and sisters who stepped off of the sidewalk and were just walking along the road. And so they immediately get out of the car. They go into a panic. Lopez carries the boy into the car and she cradles his bleeding head in her arms and someone gave him mouth to mouth as they rushed him to a nearby hospital. He would die the following day in hospital. But Lisa was so sweet. She paid approximately $3,700 for his medical expenses and for his funeral. And she also gave the family around $925 for any extra costs for whatever needed to be paid. Lisa was also there when she helped to pick a casket for the boy at a local funeral home. So she was extremely taken by this accident. But what was so touching, his family and the police actually did not want to put fault on Lisa or her assistant, Stephanie, who was driving the car. They said that it was just an accident, that they don't blame them at all. The boy's mother, Gloria Fuentes, actually said this to People Magazine. She said, why should we have called the police? Lisa was an excellent person the way she treated me and took care of my son. The boy's grandmother also told the New York Post that she didn't realize Lisa was famous until after her death. And she said, we didn't realize she was someone famous. She was a normal person. At the time, we weren't worried about who she was. We just knew she picked up my grandson and rushed him to the best hospital in the area. And that's sweet. That's, that's really nice of them to not really put that lamenting pressure on Lisa or Stephanie either. I mean, it, it just was an accident. The days following that accident, Lisa started to kind of lose it, for a lack of better word. She mentioned to people in her friend group in Honduras that she felt the presence of a spirit following her. And she thought that it was really poignant that the boy who died, his last name was also Lopez, just like hers. And she said based on what she believed... She thought that the spirit who was following her made a mistake by taking the boy's life. And she thought this spirit meant to take her life. So she thought that a spirit was out to kill her. She thought her time was coming. So she kind of almost semi-predicted that she would die. The ironic thing is she dies in a car accident not long after this 10-year-old boy passes away. Think what you will. If you believe in coincidences or if you don't believe in coincidences, if you believe this was fated to happen or this was just a freak accident, but it is just very odd that she really felt strongly in her person that a spirit was following her and that she was fated to die. I don't think she knew when she was fated to die, but she knew that her time was coming. But she was the only one in the car that died. So in the documentary, they show the moment where she's driving this car and they're on the road and she was trying to swerve a truck that was driving in front of them. So she passed to the other lane to pass this truck. And as she tried to reroute herself back to the other lane she was just in, she loses control of the vehicle. But in the car, you can see on the recording she was driving, the person next to her had the camera, and then they panned back seat to seeing at least four people crammed into the back seat, plus actually another person in the, in the trunk. So you have at least, in total, maybe six or seven people crammed into this car, right? So she just swerved to avoid hitting this car, 
but she couldn't gain control back of the car. So the car ended up flipping several times after hitting two trees and it threw Lisa and three others out of the window and the car finally came to rest in a ditch at the side of the road. Lisa was the only one in this car that died. None of the other people in this car died. They all had injuries to them, but they survived. And she died instantly of a fracture at the base of the skull and open cerebral trauma. It's just so tragic that this was recorded. Imagine having footage of your last moments on this earth and it's put into a documentary. Her time definitely was up. And she was, she was young, only 30 years old. My God, she had so much that she wanted to do. And she did a lot in her lifetime. You know, she was part of something that was so revolutionary in the ways of music. And especially with girl groups at this time, especially with black girl groups. I mean, that is in and of itself so powerful, especially at this time in the 90s. But also Lisa, I would think, is known as probably the most, maybe the most recognizable or maybe the most well-known or the most popular member of the group, even though they all came together with their collective individuality when it came to TLC. But most people recognized Lisa because of her distinctive way that she carried herself. But because of her rap, she was so ahead of her time in her rap game. Her flow was unlike anything else. She was really, really, really making a massive name for herself. She was taken away way too soon, similarly to Aaliyah. That's another story that I want to talk about as well. So another beautiful black female artist that was taken way before her time. You know, so Lisa passed away in Honduras and uh, her funeral was held at the New Birth Missionary Baptist Church in Lithonia, Georgia, on May 2nd, 2002. Engraved upon her casket were the lyrics to a portion of the song Waterfalls, which said, Dreams are hopeless aspirations and hopes of coming true. Believe in yourself. The rest is up to me and you. In honor of her, her family founded the Lisa Lopez Foundation after her death to help underprivileged youth. Um, if I can find a link to that, I'm sure it's still working today. I'll put it in the description. Um, and then to kind of end this episode, I also wanted to say the statement that MTV said about Lisa at the time. They said, she was determined to be something in life. She was a true rock star. She didn't care about no press. She was the rock star out of the group. She was the one that would curse on TV. She had the tattoos. You could expect the unexpected. When you see Lisa, you could expect something from her. That's the gift she carried. And that, in a nutshell, is the story of TLC, but also the life and death of Lisa Left Eye Lopez. May she rest in peace. I hope that you guys learned something today that you hadn't known about before. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I will leave that link down below. And if you also want to monetarily support the podcast, I will also link that down below in the description box. As well, I'm also sponsored by Audible for Amazon. I have an affiliate link if you would like to have a free trial for Audible and monetarily support the podcast. That way I make a little in commission if you sign up using my affiliate link and I'll leave that down below as well. Um, so thank you guys very much for listening and I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye guys.